Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and myself, Christoph Katzbach, talking about the sermon from July 18th, 2021. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay, one of your hosts. And joining me today is Christoph. Hey, Jay. How's it going? It's good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I, um, I'm i feeling rested. That's That's good. Because Is there I a reason, yeah. I mean, I never use a snooze bar. You talked about that this week using the snooze bar. Yeah, button, snooze button. Well, snooze bar, bar, my yeah, snooze bar. Oh, you have like an actual alarm clock. So back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you had to like just you just basically yeah. hit it. They set it up in such a spot where if you just like slammed your fist on the yes, the like black the, box. So so that's what was interesting about this. All right, so we'll, let's dive right in here because I thought your illustration about the snooze button was great. You're you, we were um, this weekend. Christoph preached on Psalm 14, and uh, which begins with the um, pretty well-known phrase of the the fool says in his heart there is no God, and um, and so you're you're talking about foolishness, and you're talking about the snooze button being like kind of the epitome of foolishness, yep. like when you know, which is so true. I'll stand by it. Yep. Yeah, it's so true. And um, but what you didn't know is that I am a like I am in recovery. I was like the biggest snooze button enthusiast um, addict. I would say like I, I would set my alarm at least an hour before I actually had to get up so I could hit the snooze button. And I say bar because yeah, in the old, and this is dating me now, but on the old school alarm clocks, the snooze button was the giant rectangle on top of it. Like the off, yeah, yeah. the off button was a tiny little thing, but it was totally, yeah, it was designed. So in a stupor, I could just start smacking the top of my alarm clock and it would just shut yep. off for the next yep. nine minutes. And, um, and we were talking about before, like I was so addicted to the snooze button that I actually learned that many alarm clocks had a built in like limit. limit. Yeah. You know, once you hit it like seven times, it just shuts off. It's yep. just done. I mean, I speak from experience, Jay. I, I remember when I had um, when I first started using my phone as my alarm clock, and I, I kept hitting it. And so I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out a way not to." And they used to make those apps that you could put on your phone. That I, I don't know if you ever did this, where you had to solve a math problem in order no. to turn off the alarm clock. <laughs> this, is a, this is a real thing. You had to do a math problem on the screen in order to turn the alarm clock off. Otherwise it would just keep going. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna snooze oh, it or anything wow. like that. So I would try to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, but here, here in my foolishness, like this is, this is where I know that my, like my heart was so foolish is like, I figured out a way to like, if I swipe the screen in a certain way and brought up like the task manager, I could still like snooze it by hitting like a series of buttons without doing the math problem. Rendering it Wait, useless. Wait, so you were so you went so far as to create yeah. a whole workaround yep. for the problem. Wouldn't that take more energy than just solving the problem? I don't know. Hence the foolishness of my heart. It is. It's so. It's so crazy. This uh, and I and I thought it was. In all seriousness, I thought it was a great illustration because it was something that was very simple, something that most people have experienced, and something that is irrefutable in the sense that nobody can claim. Like what was so crazy was when I used to do that, even though I knew I was cheating myself out of an entire hour of sleep, like I'm setting my alarm so much earlier that that, that I'm not actually getting rested. It's, 
it's all psychological, but all it was doing was training myself to like, it actually, I actually trained myself to be tired when the alarm went off because I'm, my body's saying, oh, well the alarm went off. All that means is I'm rolling back over, you know, for another nine minutes. And, um, I mean, there's so many heart issues that are going on in that, but it is, it is interesting this idea of even though my mind knows what is better or what the, what the better thing is, I still can't stop myself from wanting to do this other thing, Yep, which is, which is just one of the conundrums of, I think human existence. Like you, you did a great job of pointing out that this is just, this is human nature. This is our sin nature in, in humanity, the human condition or the sin condition that we are in is that we are forever wanting things that are not for our good. Right. Right. I I feel like the the Bible talks about this all over the place. And I I think it's incredible that it's kind of baked into creation that there, there are just these like certain things that seem like they can't go together, but they, but they do go together, you know? And so like us, we, we are both sinner and saint. Like we, we just, we are, we are both sinner and saint. Mm -hmm. And on this side of glory, like we, we will not shed that title of sinner until the moment we stand before the Lord. And he says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did. Right. And, and that's just, that's just a part of life. But I feel like that's also interestingly enough modeled in God's nature when he took on flesh and he's 100% God, 100% man. And so it's like, we, we see that, we see that in different areas. Um, yet it's so hard. Like when we're actually confronted with that, we're like, no, that can't be the case. That's, that seems ridiculous. Yeah, I think, well, we so often trust, we think that our, um, we think that our minds are, uh, Robbie loves saying this, right? I mean, this is a big thing right now. Somehow we think that our minds are, are more separated from sin or more pure than our emotions are. You know, you, got, you have all these things right now, like, well, you just have to look at the facts and we don't realize how much our heart, like, helps interpret all the data that we see. And, and even when we know something to be the case, like our heart still is driving so much of our decision-making and what we, what we believe is best and what we really love. And I think one of the big strengths of your, your message this weekend and what I think was so critical, um, was this kind of focus on these affections that, um, we, uh, this idea that, that I, what I love is demonstrated by what I end up doing, you know, and, and, um, and that we have to ask these hard questions. Like we can't just assume that we want good things. That's where we get into trouble all the time is because, you know, yes, we can look at it and laugh about it in the snooze button, but every day I make decisions that if I stopped and thought, you know, like these things that seem right to me, which scripture talks about that, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to destruction. And we think that somehow we are like, what seems right to us is just automatic. Like obviously means it's correct. Yeah. And we see it all over the place right now. Like anything, anytime we look at something, I mean, how many times have you looked at something? You're like, well, what if they just did this? Like, well, obviously the answer is this. And we just assume that whatever we think is obvious is actually true. And that's really dangerous, obviously, because it's not the case. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like this reverse engineering of, right. of our actions, you know, yep. like I, I remember, um, I used to, uh, a long time ago, I used to fix computers for, for a living. Actually. I like, I, I had, it was very short lived. I am a terrible business person. Like it just did not do well. Um, but I, but I fixed computers is kind of a side thing. And whenever you fix computers, uh, Jeff and I were joking about it. Um, because you know, Jeff is our, our tech guy. It's like, 
to, to fix computers, you just get really good at Googling stuff because you go, okay, well, right. like, what were you doing? When were you doing it? Take another step back, take another step back, take another step back, and you just kind of, like, slowly figure out what the problem is based upon that. And it's the same way, like, with, with, with our lives sometimes. It's like we do something, we see the fruit of it, we get really, really frustrated, and we assume that, like, we were either doing it out of the right motives or we were, we were taking the right step before we actually, you know, take a couple step back take a couple steps back um, to actually see that that wasn't actually the case. And I, I think that that's a part of this is you, you hit on it with the intellectual thing is like we do start from this idea of, well, if we can have 100% proper reasoning, proper intellectual understanding of things, then obviously the outpouring of that is going to be a, a life that is um, that, that worships God well and praises him well. And that's not to downplay any of those things. Um, but it's, it, it it's broken when all of a sudden you 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 know all of these things you can quote all of the verses you can um uh you can recite certain theologies and doctrines but like your your life doesn't actually show any of those things you know if you if you can memorize an entire uh chapter of the bible but you haven't spent any time in prayer what's going on with your heart like what right. is that information actually doing with your heart and i think that that's what psalm 14 when I came to it, I was like, oh man, that's what this is talking about. This is talking about this like dissection of the heart because truly like if, if the heart is not there, then all that intellectual stuff, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't matter. You know, it, right. it, it does like it's important, but it's, it doesn't matter in the sense of like, it's not actually producing any good fruit. And Jesus talked so often about look at the fruit. And I think this is part right. of the reason he did that is because where the fruit is is going to reveal where the heart was and and I do think that part of where the heart is does come from intellectual things like I think that the the intellectual the reasoning side of things does stimulate the fire of our hearts but um but it has to otherwise it's just it's not worth it well only to the extent that our heart is submitted submitted in in that position of humility so we were talking about that even you know last week that this idea of of um approaching god in humility and assuming that I, you know, so you read Psalm 14, you, assuming that I'm the fool. Like I, I, I want to go into this. I would never it, do such a thing. Right. <laughs> I, well, actually I did this Sunday. I yeah. assumed you were. Yeah. Well, you assumed I, I was a fool. Yeah. But that's, we don't like to acknowledge that. So that's part of one of these big obstacles is because we are so convinced in our own minds that we see the world clearly and that we value things properly. And that obviously if everyone, I mean, just like anybody listening, just think of how many times you have looked at a situation, what somebody has done, how something has been designed, how something is set up and thought like, well, that was dumb. Obviously they just had to do this. And you actually believe that you're right, that it doesn't even enter your mind that maybe you don't see something else and, and you're actually not correct. We're just so good at convincing ourselves. You know, you mentioned the fixing computers. Um, I, I used to have to do customer service, helping people uh, navigate an e-commerce website. Okay. And, the, and so there's similar, there's similar yeah. things. And there's always such a huge difference. I would get, sometimes people would call in and their very first thing would be, um, I, they, they would say like, I'm assuming this is user error. Like they would kind of call <laughs> right. and they'd be like, I'm sure I'm messing this up. I right. just don't know what I'm doing. And then there'd be the person that would call in and say, something's wrong with your site. Yeah, right. And it it's without exception, the person who starts with, this is probably user error. I'm probably doing something incorrectly. 
got their problem solved much, much faster yes, yeah. than the person who believed they were doing everything right and the problem was completely on our end. Yep. And not because I was being combative, but because when you're asking questions, they're not honestly assessing it. The person who approaches it saying, I'm probably doing something wrong here is honestly evaluating what they're doing and can honestly answer like, oh, did you, um, you know, are you connected to the internet? Well, the person who assumes that they're doing something wrong actually checks that. You know, versus the person who doesn't assume that they they just assume that they are already doing it. And I see so many parallels with that in the spiritual life. Like when we approach a passage and we say, well, no, no, I, I don't do those things or that's not me. Um, then it becomes much more difficult to actually for the Holy Spirit to do the work of convicting and unearthing things. And so I loved how you started that. out. I loved how you said and even contrasted it with how you used to view um, this passage, how you used to see it as kind of an us versus them kind of a thing yeah. that, that now you are, you're not a fool because you believe there's a God and the, the fools that he's talking about are people who don't believe that there's a God. Now, interestingly enough, that was where one of the questions came up. So we did have a question about this. Um, and the question centered around, you know, who, who are the fools who are all, when he talks about all people, like all have turned away, like all, there is none that are righteous. Um, and, and then verses when he, when he says, um, my people, like they, they devour my people. And so there's this reference to all people. And then there's this one reference to my people, meaning right. God's people. Um, but you were making the case that the fool is that David is, is saying the fool is everybody. There's not like. We're not, we don't have some foolish people and some who aren't foolish. Right. But the question is, well, then what, why is there this differentiation between all people and my people? Yeah, I think there's a few things going on there. And, and I mean, feel free to obviously step in if you feel oh, like. Oh, I will. Okay, good. Um, is, is first of all, there seems to be like this shift in tone. There, there's this, this shift in perspective. Um, that happens. And so when it's starting off, when it says the Lord looks down from heaven on, on all of mankind, there's kind of this like zoomed out perspective of all people, right? And it says that all have turned away, all have become crooked. There's no one who does good. And then um, do these evildoers know nothing? And then it shifts over to the the they, the they and the, the my people. And it seems like it almost moves away from like watching God look down on his people to God actually looking down on his people. And it, it kind of feels like, it's from God's perspective that he's saying, uh, they devour my people as though eating bread and they never call upon the Lord. And and I just, as I'm reading that, I'm going, okay, I, I see that. I see how somebody could read that and go, oh, that's obviously not Christians then because it's my, my people, because my people are Christians and this is about people who aren't Christians who are um, d- devouring Christians. And and to, to that, I would just, I, I feel like when I, when I read a Psalm like this, I have to readjust myself and remind myself that it's, it's God's people that's reading God's word, right? I mean, there's right. a lot of people who aren't Christians who are reading God's word. Um, but oftentimes, uh, these are, this is God's word written to God's people, right. uh, for us to be, to be challenged and grow in. And then I read in Romans three, and I guess this is where it, it really clicked for me is thinking through Romans three. We, uh, the youth group went through, uh, the first eight chapters of Romans um, last, last from January to spring, we went through Romans. And, um, so I spent a lot of time in Romans over this last year, like really in depth in Romans. And the, the part that sticks out to me is that, um, I, I mentioned this in the sermon a little bit is that Paul was writing to the church in Rome 
uh, and he was writing to kind of two audiences that were meant to be one audience, but they weren't one audience. It was the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And he's, he's kind of trying to write this gospel to go, we are all on the same playing field. We are all broken. We are all sinful. We right. all need Jesus. And then that's where you get some of the beautiful, you know, Romans chapter eight, where you hear that there's no separation from Christ and that we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. You know, there are these like crescendo salvation moments, but those crescendo salvation moments come from reminding ourselves that we all have this sinful nature. And, and so I just like, I read that and I can't help but go, oh, that's me. I, I, in my worst moments, I am the one who I'm devouring the people who are around me. I am not loving my neighbor. I am not, um, you know, to get like personal, not loving my wife well, or my, my children well, or those who are in my, um, in my direct influence. And so I read that as my people being people, you know, God calls us to love our neighbor and he doesn't specify our neighbor as being Christian or not Christian. In fact, there's a lot to say that we're just called to love people in general. We're not called to just love other Christians. And so uh, when we're not doing that, when we're sinning against them, we're devouring them. Anyways, that was a lot, but that's kind yeah. of my, my thoughts on and, that. And yeah, and I would agree with that. What I would what I would say too is it's interesting that yes, we see here that God is with the righteous. So it says, for God is with the generation of the righteous. What we yeah. have to be careful of is that's not talking about a set group of people who are always righteous. It's talking about people who, like God, that is very true. God is with the righteous, but who is righteous? Only the one who's taken on the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, like if we read, like, I, just for a second, like if you go through the Old Testament, sorry, right. I just think yeah. about it. You go through the Old Testament and like, are you going to say that David was talking about the Israelites? Because every turn we right. look in the Old Testament, yeah, they're the never Israelites walking are running right, from God. Right. They're always running from God. And so this is the thing. This is why it's like, well, then who can enter the kingdom of heaven? Like, well, it's with man, it's impossible. Yes. Yeah. But with God, so... So the one who is righteous is the one who claims the righteousness of Christ, which is done in humility, which would be done in repentance and understanding that I'm I'm the fool. Because in my heart, when I know, I mean, like, because how many times do we think, you know, I, I know what this says, like, why am I worrying about this? Why am I stressed out about this? Like, is it not because my heart doesn't fully believe the things that I know to be true? And so when, when David is, is saying this, like, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think this is talking about like, well, um, the Israelites are the generation of the righteous and they are my people. And these are for the enemies of Israel. And I yeah. don't think that's what David's talking about. I think he's, he's drawing attention that, Hey, this is also a calling out to the people of Israel to put their hope in God and to, to trust him and to walk in his ways. Um, and, and to not live as though there is no God. And we do see a parallel of this. So there is this interesting cannibalistic kind of imagery in yeah. here. And what came to my mind was in uh, Galatians 5, which I think then supports this. In, in Galatians 5, 13, it says, for, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So it's interesting because that connects in what you were saying. It's the same of language. Like, yeah, it's the same language. And you're talking about like when God says, my people, my image bearers, that's why we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves because we have the same creator. We're the same image bearer. We're bearing the same image. 
And so I think that's fleshed out more in this, where in in saying that it is, in in Paul reiterating the great commandment, he he then contrasts that with, but the opposite is if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And so when God is looking at this and and saying that that um, have they no knowledge, all the evil doers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord, there's this general kind of, uh, of rejection of, of God and, and, um, humility before the Lord and consuming up what he has called us to, to love and serve. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think, and then clearly Paul in Galatians is talking to the church. Like these, these are, these are redeemed people that he's saying, um, that he's saying this to, that you've been set free. Like Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. We've been set free. Like don't do not return to a yoke of slavery. And then it's here where he's saying, but don't use that freedom for an opportunity of the flesh, which means like these desires you talked about, like how we consume, we become consumers of things. And we're in this consuming society, which means essentially like I, I consume things for my own, to satisfy my own appetites and my own desires rather than, um, seeing seeing my life as being hidden in Christ um, and, and taking that on so that I can live as a, a one who loves his neighbor, not consumes. Um, yeah, consumes well, we, we, we interact with people differently when we see them as image bearers of Christ instead of seeing them as commodities, you know? And I, right. I, I, like, I think that that's, that's kind of it, is the world sees people as commodities. They are there to... Uh, fulfill whatever your purpose, your desire is. But, but when, but when you've been saved, when you recognize, so here's the thing, like when you recognize that you are the fool and when you recognize your brokenness, you give it to Christ and you recognize the the price he paid on the cross for it, it should stir up in us an empathy towards, right. towards those people. It should stir up an empathy yes. towards those who have that same condition, but don't have the good right. news that we also have. And so if, if anything, I think what this does is it, it humbles me, but it humbles me in such a way right. as to empathize with those who, um, who, who don't have the gospel. It kind of, it, it almost creates kind of this missional fire in me to be like, yeah. we, we got to tell them about Jesus because otherwise they're going to live as if they are devouring um, one another. Well, and, and unless you believe that you are saved because you were smarter or better Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Well, that's so what it like stirs right, up in right, you, right? Like exactly. that's part so, of that reverse engineering right, is right. like all of a sudden you're like, oh, right. maybe it is more workspace right. than I thought it was. That's right. That's where the, in, re, you, this reverse engineering is so critical because w- w- if there is a separation and there is, so God does talk about his, the, the righteous and, and the unrighteous. But the whole idea is that we are all in that boat, like you're saying in, in Romans, that we are all in the situation, but for the grace of God. And so, you know, I think of, um, obviously, I think of Ephesians 2, you know, where, it, but it but it was God, but God being rich in mercy, like this is who you were. And sometimes we look at that and we say, okay, well, yeah, we were sons of disobedience. We were that. We're not that anymore. Um, and, and so, therefore we're now in this new category and and those things don't affect us anymore. But like you pointed out, we are, we're in this already not yet state The yes, we are declared righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus, but we are still working out our salvation in fear and trembling. And so, um, we, we do need to acknowledge that and realize like, okay, so, so it should 
like understanding this and looking at something like Psalm 14 or Galatians 5 or Ephesians 2, what that should stir in us is this, this understanding of who we are. And so it should lead to empathy. Like you said, it should lead to empathy for those who are enslaved to sin and don't have a hope. Like you think of it as like they're prisoners who don't realize that they, they could be set free and you don't, um, you realize that you were set free, not because you were declared, not because you were not guilty of, of your sin or not because you were you know smarter or better or had more willpower or better morals, but just by the grace of God. So it should be the simultaneous um, growing of empathy for root issues and root things that are going on in, in other people. And then also just an incredibly deep gratitude and thanksgiving that in God's God in his mercy rescued me from this yeah. and then a desire to see that happen for other people. Amen. And so often what grieves me a little bit and um, is, is so often. And that's again, why I loved how you started this out. So often we look at passages like this and we get an us versus them kind of mentality, Yeah. but that is never what scripture is leading towards. It is like the, the us versus them the, the only them is the Trinity. Like the only <laughs> them, like that, they're the only ones like, or the only us, whichever one you want to say, but the, the only good side of that battle is the Trinity. Yeah. We are all rebels. We are all like, but, but God in his mercy, um, rescued us. And if he has rescued us, then we should live in such a way that demonstrates like this incredible news that is available to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's a, that's a really good point is, is, part of the danger of viewing that as an us versus them is that all of a sudden we lose the missional aspect of wanting to reach them for the gospel. And what we want to do is instead turn and just kind of protect our own and just kind of like, you know, and I I just, I don't see, I don't see that being how Jesus ran his ministry. You know, I don't, I don't see that being, um, what's modeled for us. And so I want to make sure that I'm careful not to do that. I want to make sure that when I come to a passage like this, when Mm. I, Feel that, and that's part of the reason why I, I I just I so felt the need to preach this specific psalm, is it was oh man that that lies within me like I I I had to there was some real um, need to confess and repent when I came to that and recognizing that and um, I think I I find I preach the best when it's coming from a place of this is what God has been working yeah. in me. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I think that's that's. That's the most important lesson I think anyone who preaches the word is is to understand that I I am first and foremost the chief of sinners. Like right, I know right. I know better what's going on in 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 my heart than I do in other people's hearts. Um, but like we've said, I still don't know I still don't know everything in my heart own heart. Like I don't know myself better than anyone else does because God obviously knows everything that's going right. on in there, knows all my motivations, even the ones that I think are good. And so I think, um, I think what is critical and if there's any practical help in this is to say, okay, just again, pro- approaching scripture with humility, assuming that, that I am the chief of sinners and that, and then letting that take me rather than trying to protect my own standing. Cause I think you worded that really well. Like we, we, rather than looking to serve others with the gospel, we, um, we often look to protect our own standing. And you actually see that in the disciples early on. And when, you know, as they're arguing, not even early on, like right. arguing over who is the greatest that even, even as they, 
as they're walking with Jesus, they still, there's this desire to protect my standing. And there's something that doesn't change about human nature that, you know, first, first graders on a playground, um, know that the, the best way to make yourself look better is to tear other people down. Yep. And so we tend to do that. Like we never get rid of that. You know, that this idea that no, actually the gospel raises up everyone. Like God isn't, he's limitless in the amount of affection and mercy and favor and blessing that he can give. And so him blessing you or, or me, um, being convicted of my sin doesn't make me somehow less in the, in the eyes of the Lord than, than you. I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to be afraid of realizing the foolishness of my heart. In fact, there's like great blessing that then comes through that. And so I, I, that was kind of where I wanted to kind of just jump really quickly um, to kind of wrap up is, okay, so what do you do if, if you're in that place where you're like, okay, I know I'm, I, I know I'm foolish or I know that this is, this is talking about me and that in, in my heart, I, I, um, like, how does that actually play out, um, practically speaking? Like, I know you, you said you had some other examples we talked about before you had some examples that you didn't really use. Um, but I'm curious, like what other help could we give as, as people are kind of looking at a passage like this? And, and by the way, I would say I really loved how you focus so much on our hope is Christ. Yeah. Like our, our hope, our cure for a foolish heart is not just gaining wisdom, like our, our cure for a foolish heart is Jesus. And so the hope is in the gospel. That's why we aren't on this path to destruction. That's what saves us from this. But how do we, how do we walk that out? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the journey, right? (laughs) So I like it is, it's, it's, it's a part of, I, I think what we've talked about, like the very first thing and the most important thing is kind of that that recognition and and you were talking we were talking about the reverse engineering of just recognizing when that happens recognizing when our heart is in that place recognizing when we uh when when our passions our desires are not aligned with with god's and part of that comes from constant uh healthy evaluation you know Mm -hmm. there's there's this need to evaluate okay here you know here here are the fruit of the things that i am doing like is it good is it healthy it's um it's kind of like uh, maybe I'll I'll give this example. Maybe it's a terrible example, but this is <laughs> just go with me on this one. It's like if you're so say you're a parent and you are hoping to uh, you're just hoping to cultivate your relationship with your child, and so you say, okay, I'm going to set aside one day a week to go and do this thing with with my child. You go and pick something to go and do, and you do it, and you come away feeling like, oh, that was awesome because you pick something that you love to do, but it was something that like your child just like can't stand to do. Uh, maybe I'll, this is terrible, but I'll just say fishing. All right. And I know there's a lot of people that are listening that probably like fishing. You can go there. Yeah, I know <laughs> because I, well, it's, it's funny because it's just, it's not my thing, but, okay. um, it, it, you know, you, you, you bring your kid and you feel awesome because you went fishing, but your kid just, you know, feels kind of crummy about it and they're just kind of like, okay, it was a thing. And the whole time they're thinking I could be doing this with my friends. I could be doing that. I, you know, and, and, but you go away, like, hey, I got to go fishing. And I brought my kid. I cultivated my relationship with my kid. I am doing an awesome job at parenting. Gold star for me. Without actually taking time to evaluate the, did this actually produce what you were hoping it would mm. produce? You know, we don't take the time to do that with various parts of our lives. And I, I think it's important to do that. And then to go, to, to be humble enough to go, well, if it didn't, 
what can I change about that? Instead of, because I think this is sometimes where we then get caught up on is we then do healthy evaluation. We then do the job of going, okay, what's the fruit? We recognize that it's broken fruit. And we do the uh, the customer support thing you said before. And we go, right. well, it must have been their fault. Right. You know, obvi- obviously, my kid, it just needs to like love fishing. And we just need to go fishing like 20 more times. And we're going to, you know, it's going to be sure. great. I- instead of actually going, okay, what can I do different about this and sometimes like that's not to say sometimes you need to put in some of the hard work and sometimes it is like you just need to stick with something but you know sometimes it's okay let's reevaluate and and shift and change towards something else and i don't know maybe that's a, a silly example of that but well it is a silly example christoph there's no so question that's no <laughs> the no i just mean like uh i, I think yeah what, what i what i what I think is so critical about that is just not to be, don't be afraid to ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. Exactly. To evaluate what is actually happening in my heart right now. Is this, is this producing what I hope it will be producing? We're so quick to defend ourselves um, as if, as if we could possibly justify ourselves or defend ourselves before God. There's no reason to be afraid of that conviction or afraid of realizing um afraid of the Holy Spirit telling me, Hey, this is not producing what you want. Like you, you're not, you're actually pursuing something else here. I don't need to be afraid of that because he's going to in kindness and gentleness convict me and then lead me down a better path. And yeah, um, I just think we, we so quickly say like, Oh no, well that's, that's great. Like, don't worry about that. And there is a personality by the way, cause I think of personalities who would then overbear, like overweight themselves with having to find an activity that their kid would love. And, and therefore like they don't actually go do anything with them and not realizing like spending time together. But I think what your, your point there, which is well taken, which is if your goal is to love this person well, then your attention is going to be on that, not on this thing you're doing. And I, that certainly can happen. And that same thing happens like going to church. Like you, you use that as an example. Like I can go to church as a thing that I check off. Like, okay, it pleases God for me to go to church. Um, but that's different than approaching it as like, what does this look like? Am I actually, am I actually approaching the assembly of the believers and, and gathering with this family Am I approaching it in a way that is honoring to God? Do right. I see these people as my family or do, do I see them like I see other people at a restaurant that I like? You know, like, oh, you like this food too. Like, great. Cool. That's, that's different than when I go to grandma's house and I see these people as like, yeah. oh, these are my, these are my family. And, uh, you know, and one thing that, one area that we talked about that this came up in is um, like with anxiety and worry. And I feel like that's one of those issues that we just always go into these two ditches. Like, you know, for a long time growing up, I I heard a lot that, you know, if you worry, then that means you don't, you don't believe in God and you don't, you know, you you don't love him. And then we fought that ditch and we say so many times here, I hope people get tired of me saying this so that it sinks in, but you don't solve one ditch by going into the other ditch. And so then we go into the other ditch and we say like, Oh no, worry is just a part of human, you know, human nature. And so don't, don't worry about worrying. And I just want to say like, look, anxiety gets caused by a lot of different things. And, and so I want to hold those things. Well, I want to consider like, what is the root of this? Like there is an anxiety that people feel that is physiological and biochemical. Um, and I, and I want us to live in a world where we say like, that's not sin. Like that's not sin any more than somebody that has cancer is sin. Like it's not, that's not sin. 
Um, there's also a uh, an anxiety or a stress that comes with that, that is very circumstantial that you've just been through trauma or you've been through something and you say like, yeah, that's a, that's also part of that physiological response. Um, but then there is an anxiety and a worry that is the result of a, a lack of belief or trust in God. Totally. That is sinful. Totally. And if you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling anxious or you're feeling worry, like you're full of worry, don't be afraid to ask that question. Because if the answer is, well, this is actually physiological. This, this, this is this is biochemical. There's just um, they, there's no rhyme or reason to this. It just comes on. Then you can feel freedom, and you don't have to deal with shame and guilt of saying like, oh, I guess if I just believed God better, then you know, or loved Him more, then I wouldn't feel this way. You can be set free from some of that. But on the same token, if you dig into that and realize, no, nah, but there's part of this that is actually like a controlling side of this, that I'm feeling anxious because I want to control this because I don't trust that God is good or I don't trust ultimately that he's for me or that he is going to work all things together for good or that he's sovereign. And you don't need to be afraid of that because the Holy Spirit will convict you of that and lead you to repentance and he can deliver you and you can have freedom through that course of action. Dude, as well. Totally. And I, I, I feel very confident in saying that over the course of my walk with Jesus, some of the some of the, the the moments that are the most important ones or some of the best ones have been moments where I have confessed what is going on, where there has been like an yep. actual act of confession. And that that's not just like a personal thing, but when I'm able to um, confess with it with a group of believers there's like this bonding that happens mm-hmm. when, when I'm able to confess to um, somebody that I've sinned against them all of a sudden there's this grace that goes deeper and it's it's kind of like going all the way back to the alarm clock analogy it's like we shy away from confession mm-hmm. we think it's this terrible thing but when we do that when we actually dig in so we've got the one side that's like no there's actually um, this this you know medical thing going on great find that out like in when it comes to like anxiety or stress yeah. or whatever um, but when you find that it's because you're holding on to something that you shouldn't be or you you have this lack of trust in who God is and you confess that not just you know in your in your mind in your heart while you're driving but like you actually go to a, a brother or a sister in Christ or you you know maybe it's your spouse or you, to actually go to somebody and confess there's just something so good and healthy and um, life-giving to that but we yeah. you know we hit that snooze button we're like oh i'll go do that i'll do that another time um it's like stop or we stop or we defend our position in that and just and dig deeper into that and i i think what i want people to hear and what i think you did a really good job of communicating this weekend is that um that there's that the hope of the gospel means we don't have to be afraid of being the fool like we don't have to be afraid yeah. of saying calling out the foolishness of our own hearts because we aren't trying to prove ourselves to God. We aren't trying to slip past a, a test or something like that to to kind of get in. We can trust him completely. He already knows our heart. And so if we if we are um if if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And I, I think um just feeling the freedom of that and not having to um not having to like to just on a daily basis say, okay, God, I like the father who, who says, um, you know, I believe help my unbelief. Like that's a constant prayer. Like most of the time I'm in a situation where I say, like, if I'm realizing I'm kind of racked with anxiety or worry or whatever, like the, the first thing I would say is just speak it out. Like you're saying like, just, just confess it. You don't even have to know actually 
every, you don't have to know the root of everything that's going on. Right. To just say it out loud. Like, why am I worried right now? Why am I anxious? And, and then to start naming those things and just, and just say it out loud and say like, well, what am I actually afraid of? What do I actually want? Like those two key questions that we talk about a lot of, of, if you want to dig deeper into what's going on in your heart, ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And then ask myself, what do I want? Like those our desires and our fears are a window to so much of what's going on. And once we start saying those things out loud, um, before the Lord, it's amazing. Like how much comfort he brings and how much freedom, you know, he has brought in my life by just giving me space to confess my foolishness. Totally. And, and so I want to encourage people. I hope that that's, I hope that that's encouraging to you to know that there's nothing to be afraid of when you do that. And I hope that we as a church body can be a people who encourage one another to do that um, rather than creating a culture where you can't do that. Um, Because a culture that says, well, no, you, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't doubt. Or if you're a Christian, you shouldn't, you know, you, you should, you shouldn't grieve. You know, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't ever worry. Well, those are things that do happen. And sometimes there is a holy way for those to, to come out and there's a sinful way, but either way we, we have been bought and with a price we are secured in our salvation because our father loves us. It's because of his, he is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Not because we defended ourselves or made up enough excuses for it or justified how, why we were in the situation. He takes our confessions and he forgives us and he redeems us and renews us. And we just, our, our life right now is, is spent trying to walk that out. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. I think it's a good place to stop. I love it. All right. It's good. Well, hopefully this has been helpful as always. If you have any questions or thoughts, please let us know. We just, um, we record these to, to be a help, to, yeah. to help like as we kind of think through these things and process them, if it's helpful to you, then that's that's what we're doing it for. So please send any questions in, um, email us, or you can call the church office, um, or, or grab us on a Sunday or whatever the case is. So until next time, grace and peace. Yeah.